0: for dinner Hogarth your mom's working late tonight Hogarth so it's just us guys and we're gonna have a little chat sit down how's that a little too bright good (laughs) forgive me Hogarth I wanted you to learn something
1: what can I learn from you
0: you can learn this Hogarth that I can do anything I want whenever I want if I feel it's in the people's best interest The giant metal man, where is it?
1: I don't know what you're talking about.
0: You don't? Well, does this ring a bell? No? How about this? You've been careless, Hogarth.
1: It doesn't prove anything.
0: It's enough to get the army here with one phone call.
2: Then what's stopping you?
0: Where's the giant? You can't protect him, Hogarth, any more than you can Protect your mother. My mom. Uh, It's difficult to raise a boy all alone. We could make it more difficult. In fact, we could make it so difficult that it would be irresponsible for us to leave you in her care, and all that that implies. You'll be taken away from her, Hogarth.
1: You can't do that. Oh,
0: we can, and we will.
1: He's in the junkyard, copping scrap off Culver Road.
0: Junkyard, of course! Food for the Metal Eater. I wouldn't worry about this, Hogarth. It isn't really happening. This is only a bad dream. (coughs) (laughs) Gosh.
2: Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest and a fellow podcaster, and that is David Weinberger. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. Um, So uh, before we jump into today's discussion, we like to kind of let new guests talk a little bit about themselves. So why don't you tell people what your deal is? So uh,
1: to get back to it, so my name is David. I am one half of the Shonen Flop podcast where me and my co-host Jordan talk about the wonderful world of manga that ran in Shonen Jump. For those who may not be familiar, Shonen Jump is the largest manga uh, magazine in the world. It's things where Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto all came from. But not everything in that series can be a hit. There's a lot of garbage in it too. So me, Jordan, and a guest We take a look at the lesser-known series and see were they a flop or not and what they did wrong, what they did right, and ultimately what could they have done to potentially have become a hit. And uh, you can find us at ShonenFlop. That's S-H-O-N-E-N-F-L-O-P. And you can find us on Instagram, or sorry, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. And on Twitter at ShonenFlopCast
2: very cool um yeah and we'll have all the all the links and all that in the show notes so people can easily find it there uh awesome. so how long have you guys been doing the show we just had our two
1: sorry um we just had our 2 year anniversary about mm, 3 weeks ago actually so yeah so i know we're we're just still a baby podcast
2: yeah yeah i know what that's like uh, <laughs> um so what are some of the uh what do you think so far is like the best unfairly canceled uh manga that you've read so far
1: so we actually just did a special where we ranked every single series we'd ever read and it's actually kind of depressing how many of the series are just kind of garbage oh, so okay. some of the good ones we've read is probably time paradox ghostwriter and that's a manga about an author who is aspiring to success success and he has a magical microwave that sends him copies of shonen jump from the future and he starts plagiarizing that magazine mm-hmm um some other favorites include double tie say which is pretty much what if you had the energy of the fast and furious but was about playing a form of chess okay and mora king which is what if Beatles were could talk and it's uh it's a very interesting and fun series but we have read some absolutely absurd things that i don't think i even have the time to go into all the absolute garbage that we've had the displeasure of reading
2: (laughs) so um some of them are fairly flopped then
1: I would say one in 10 series is something I don't regret reading. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
2: When we started the podcast, we think hidden gems. And then we were like, wow, we have read a lot of garbage. Yeah. That's yeah. It's funny when you think about the the American industry, because the American comic industry, there's usually a ton of stuff that gets unfairly canceled. But I guess because the Japanese manga industry is so huge and and so much more successful, they have they tend to have a lot more flops than that are fairly flopped.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure yeah and i am i'm unfortunately not as well versed <laughs> in american comics i used to be really big into and i need to get back we actually mm-hmm. used to have a book club in my discord i'm not sure if you use discord much but every month but unfortunately the person who ran it just got too busy to keep going
2: oh that's too bad um it is. So well, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got into this stuff, because you, you mentioned in your in, in our correspondence before we um, jumped on the show that you're you're a fan of superhero movies. And yes. So uh, what was kind of like your gateway into the world of like superhero movies, comic books, all this kind of like nerdy stuff?
1: I feel Um, I had a high school teacher that was super into comics, so I think that was a big influence of it, and then Mm -hmm. I think really just, I was in the sweet spot for when the MCU started, I was in like ninth, 10th grade, and I just, you know, followed it from there, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, I've seen every MCU movie at least twice, because I rewatched them all, and then some of them I've seen probably five plus times, including, I've seen Thor Dark World three times, because I had to for a podcast, so... Mm -hmm the sacrifices we make to be on the shows but i'm really glad though i didn't have to regret that i rewatched iron giant for this episode okay
2: yeah we uh we actually uh we actually just did an ep- recorded an episode on uh the dark world fairly recently so that's a pretty timely. oh geez
1: now why would you do that
2: oh no I, I i actually the dark world it's not my favorite all right it's definitely down on the list but it's not a movie i hate i'll, I'll put it that way okay that's fair. um but uh i also had a kind of a similar experience where I also had a, a high school teacher who was very into comics, who has actually mm-hmm. been on the show before too. Um, and he, even though I was into comics before I met him, he was kind of, he was a, he was a cool guy who was into comics. and That made me realize like, Oh, wow. We don't have to be ashamed of this. We can, we can be, be open about liking comic books and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. I remember um, I had a great experience where I actually, sorry I had a great experience where um me him and our friend of mine we went through top 10 and he explained all the experiences though actually On did not note on my show we actually had the artist of top 10 um as a guest which was really exciting
2: mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. the the ellen moore comic you mean yes oh, so okay, we okay, had
1: okay. um Xander. Can- sorry Xander cannon i know it was cannon, the name yeah. that started with a z so yes so we had the pleasure of having Xander
2: cannon on one of our episodes Oh, very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so today we're talking about, like you, like you'd mentioned, uh, the iron giant, which was a, uh, 1999 film, uh, animated film, uh, that came mm-hmm. out, um, <clears throat> didn't do very well in the theater. It was kind it of, really a did fly, not. yeah. Um, it only made a uh, 31 million of its 50 million budget and mm. it was, um, but it, it developed a really big cult following and it's, uh, kind of probably most notable for being like the the thing that really kind of launched uh Brad Bird and brought him mm-hmm. to a lot of people's attention. Um now I when this movie came out, uh I never saw it when it came out cuz I was um this was like when I was just starting high school, I believe. I think it was like in my mm-hmm. first year of high school, first or second year when this came out. So yeah. I was kind of in that stage when I'm like um oh, American animation, that's all kid stuff. I don't want anything to do with that, <laughs> that type of <laughs> Brad Bird
1: would be so upset to hear you think that. Uh,
2: yeah yeah I mean I've definitely matured by since then but that was kind of the attitude of a lot of like animated stuff that wasn't um, you know Japanese animation at the time um, it was just kind of like oh American animation it's all for kids you know it's not worth watching or anything like that it was definitely that kind of like edgy teen teen lord type of bullshit phase that I was going through exactly uh, what about you? Because this obviously, um, you you were younger than me because you said you were um, you were like nine or ten when the MCU started coming out. So... Oh no, I was
1: in nine for tenth grade.
2: Okay, so yeah, so you're a little bit younger than me. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, what what was your experience um, when this movie came out? Um... Let me think
1: about that. Also, by the way, um, I have a fan on the background, so let me know if it's too loud. I've found that in my recordings, it doesn't pick up. But I just want to give you a heads up that if for any reason, I can turn no, it off if it's causing issues. I'm okay, not picking great. up
2: anything, so we're good Okay. There.
1: And if you hear that, jostling, that's just me drinking water. Okay, no um, problem. So, yeah, so that 2002... I think I was about 11 years old. So yeah, definitely a little bit behind you. And I do remember actually seeing this in theaters. I think I was just going on like message boards and people were hyping this movie up. So I made sure to go see it. I distinctly remember in high school talking to my film studies teacher. I lent him a copy of it, which he swears he gave back. He never did. So I lost my (laughs) copy of the Iron Giant. Very upset about that. It was a special edition. Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely remember this being a really fun movie. And that's really what stuck out to me is I've always loved the Iron Giant. And I just to be honest i was overdue to rewatch it so i'm so glad that i got
2: to re-watch it for this show mm-hmm. okay yeah so that's um yeah so my first experience actually watching because i <clears throat> you know like i said when it came out i remember seeing the ads but wasn't really interested in it and i had been hearing about this movie you know for years like everybody been saying like the iron giant is so good and it's one of those things you know everybody tells you that there's this movie you have to watch you have to watch and you're just like oh yeah i'll get to it i'll get to it and then you just never get around to (laughs) watching it and I had actually bought it about like I think it was probably like a year or two ago when I was um when I was back in the states visiting and I was at a used dvd store and they had it so I picked it up for like something like two bucks and then just put it in my collection and just like with I've got like a hundred movies that I haven't watched in my collection so it just became another one of those on the I'll get to it someday pile so I'm actually really glad that you you picked this because I'm like oh good now I can finally watch this movie (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i uh, i wasn't sure if it quite met the definition of superhero but it does have all that superman stuff so i figured yeah, i might as well just try and go with something that I, hopefully no one else has thought of recommending
2: right yeah it's not i mean i think it, it's definitely one of those movies that's kind of skirting the edges of the superhero genre but it it's close enough and it, it's my show so i make the rules so i could say it's a superhero movie <laughs> that's fair i feel
1: like if i was forced to do something unconventional conventional maybe i would have done like one of the Japanese, like uh, Super Sentai or Com- Kamen Rider, mm-hmm. which are Japanese. Just because, like, ugh, man, it's hard to find something that's not on that's already been covered. Now you have over 100 episodes.
2: Yeah, it, <laughs> we're getting to that point now. We're gonna have to start uh, uh, scraping a little. bit. But surprisingly, there's still uh, there's still a bunch that we haven't covered. So, really? um,
1: what's what would you say is the the most lowest hanging
2: fruit you haven't covered yet? The first Spider Man movie. How has no one done that? Or, like, pretty much most of the X Men movies, surprisingly, we haven't covered. Like, we've done X2, we've done Days of Future Past, and we've done First Class and Logan and Dark Phoenix, and that's it. But, like, X2 has not been covered yet. uh, The Last Stand um the other two wolverine movies all those haven't been covered yet so yeah i don't know it's just it's just one of those things we only just recently finally had someone to come on to talk about uh spider-man 2 so so yeah it's it's kind of surprising that it's taken us this long to get oh to yeah one of these. that
1: was actually my first pick of spider-man 2 and then
2: when i saw it, i was like all
1: right, everything's probably taken so i'll do the iron giant
2: <laughs> but this was a good one and um it's very much influenced by the um it, it's much more I wouldn't call it so much a superhero movie. It's much more of a pulp movie. It's very much mm-hmm. in that kind of vein. I got a lot yeah. of like Flesher vibes watching it too from like the old Superman animated uh, shorts they used to do back in the, what, like mm-hmm. 1930s, 1940s.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I remember those. They used to run them on Cartoon Network sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and they're
2: they're like public domain. It's like everybody has released a DVD of them. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so what were some of your thoughts uh, re-watching this movie?
1: I um I would say that the first thing was this movie is very slow paced in a way I don't think they make movies anymore Mm -hmm. like they let the scenes kind of I'm trying to think of the proper term but like they really let the scene just play out There's not a lot of hard cuts There's not a lot of franticness It's still of course well directed and well shot but it was There's a very deliberate kind of slowness to the pacing and editing of the film Mm -hmm. and to be honest like I 100% do not think any real they probably could release a movie that's this slow pace targeted towards children nowadays.
2: Yeah I think it would definitely they would have definitely edited it down to like I mean because it's not it's not a long movie it's not a like, long movie. Right. So you would have probably been able to edit it down to maybe like a little over an hour and change with um just by cutting down on some of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for Yeah, like you said for um more modern kid on students uh my impression was i did under i did feel that it the pacing was a lot slower than i expected um just judging from what i'd seen about the trailers and all that and it seemed like it was a much more fast-paced movie than it actually turned out to be um but i wasn't bored watching it right it wasn't like Mm -hmm. the pacing was so slow that i felt that i felt bored watching it it was the pacing was slow but it was it was fine it wasn't it didn't feel like it was unnaturally slow or anything like that. Um, although one thing I will say is I was kind of surprised when I'm getting to the end of the movie, and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, "Wait a minute, I've been watching this movie for about an hour now, and it's under an hour and a half, and they haven't even begun to get towards like the big clim- climactic event yet.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely I think if I watched this and someone said how long do you think that movie is, I probably would have said two hours and changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, how long? Do you know how long its actual runtime is? I know it's one hour forty.
2: It's uh, according to Wikipedia, it's eighty seven minutes. There was an um, an extended remastered version with of the film with two extra minutes. With two extra minutes, okay. So it's not that much of a. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, um, so yeah, it's just eighty seven minutes, just under uh, an hour and a half. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, that's the problem. Is they probably. probably why the pacing is so slow is you literally can't make a movie shorter than this and release in theaters
2: yeah probably um i think and i think another thing is a lot of animated movies they were targeting them especially at this time period they were kind of shooting for like 90 minutes is the absolute limit of them like if you look at a lot of the the dc direct-to-video animated movies they're all under 90 minutes Mm -hmm. and um And someone pointed out to me one time that it was because they were airing them like on Cartoon Network and all that. And they would split it up into like uh, three episode blocks, basically. So yes, or two episode blocks. That's why they had it edited the way they did. Hmm.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. I was looking at Quest for Camelot, which was
2: like kind of their contemporary and that likewise is 84 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was actually, um, there was a lot of skepticism about this movie because of Quest for Camelot because that had, completely tanked and yeah this was a weird time for animation because this was a time when um you had some other studios that were kind of trying to compete with disney but it was before pixar had really kind of broken in Mm -hmm. and and so like you had these small little movies that were done that weren't disney films um that and some of them were actually pretty good but they were very kind they're kind of like almost written off like american animation was in this really weird kind of growing pains phase I remember
1: yeah it's also this is really one computer assisted animation and that really changed the game mm-hmm. where how far you can get off your budget like it's actually quite interesting and I do wonder if it was deliberate that really um the Iron Giant the CGI holds up pretty well but it's literally the easiest thing you can do in CGI why well, is think- it a large mechanical like like with lots of sharp edges
2: I think something else that they did which was smart is that they didn't they didn't go overboard with the CGI because that's mm-hmm. the that's the fault of a lot of early CGI animations they're like we can do all this stuff with computers let's like throw all the bells and whistles we can onto it and then when you look at it now it looks terrible right it's just yeah it looks completely you know but and I think I'm not sure if it was Brad Bird who made this decision or or someone in the in the animation department or whoever it was but someone said, we're, we want to try to make this look as close to hand-drawn animation as possible, right? We're using mm-hmm. we're using CGI, but we're using <clears throat> CGI to animate something that would traditionally be 2D instead of trying to make it look like 3D animation. I think that also the fact that it's, like you said, it's, you know, it's very simple animation, right? It's a, you know, it's a hard edge mechanical robot. So it's much easier to animate as opposed to like when, if you're doing a human. But I think that, focusing on that simplicity and just saying we're going to use cgi to do the simplest thing instead of going overboard with it i think that was a very good decision yeah i completely agree um now one of i also too re-watching it because now i'm you know i'm I'm a man in his late 30s so uh Mm -hmm. watching this movie now as a man in his late 30s uh this is I'm watching this movie and I'm definitely feeling like I am so not the target audience for this movie. Um, <clears throat> Cause it's, it's not that I didn't like it or anything like that. It's just that um, when I watch movies where young children are the main character, it's, it's really hard for me to kind of connect to it. So like, I found myself connecting a lot more with, uh, with Dean than anyone else in the movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dean is, was probably the best character in the movie. I also have like, what is it like the Mandela effect? Where we have mm-hmm. like a false memory. I swear that Johnny Depp played him in this movie. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know why, but I had this very vivid memory that was voiced by Johnny Depp, which is not true.
2: No, it's not. It was um, uh, Harry Connick Jr., actually, I think.
1: Yeah, 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 so Harry actually, Connick Jr. It's interesting. Johnny Depp wasn't even on like the list. of They actually list the considered actors for him. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Depp wasn't even on that list. So I don't know where I got this idea that Johnny Depp played him. I mean, I could see Johnny Depp playing him, though.
2: Yeah, I definitely could. I think, like, especially that first scene he's in when he's in the diner with the sunglasses and all that, and he's like this this beatnik kind of character. So, yeah, I could definitely. He's definitely got some a Depp vibe, or at least you know pre lazy Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jennifer Aniston, as um, she also kind of uh, surprised me because I'm listening to her, and I knew she was in this, but yeah, <clears throat> it was still kind of funny watching the movie and just thinking, like, hearing her voice, I'm like. I still can't believe that's Jennifer Aniston. Like something about it just didn't I knew I rec- I knew it was her voice but something about mm-hmm. her I think it was just different from the characters I'm used to seeing her play.
1: Yeah, it was a very subtle performance mm-hmm. and it was interesting that she was in it and I feel like I just I think her fine I also had an issue where for some reason on HBO max, the audio leveling was really bad and I actually had trouble hearing. So I had to keep changing. So it makes it hard for me to truly know the quality of the performances because I struggled to hear them sometimes. Cause just for HBO max, for some reason it's really bad audio leveling mm. for this movie.
2: Oh, okay. See, I watched it on the DVD. So that didn't have those issues. Um, but Vin Diesel also really impressed me in this. Uh, mm-hmm. And just, cause I, I said we did bloodshot fairly recently and I said on that, Um, On that episode that my issue with Vin Diesel as an action star is that I don't feel like he's leading man action star material right he's not like a Dwayne Johnson he's not like a Jason Statham he's not he doesn't have that same kind of of presence Mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of other action stars have. Um, but in something like this, in these more character-based roles, like when he does the voice of the Iron Giant, when he does the voice of, of Groot, or or in something more subdued like in uh, in Pitch Black, right? He's he's great. Uh, what were some, what do you think of, of his voice?
1: I think he, he did a great job. It was like, I mean, he has <laughs> what, maybe 10 lines. It's very much like his performance in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I don't have much to say about it. I think this was definitely before his career. This is definitely pre Fast and Furious. I believe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so it's definitely not a star shower. And it is, I think it's more, to be honest, is going to be best known as a piece of trivia that he had like 10 lines in this movie right, <laughs> over anything else in terms of his contribution to this film.
2: Well, I think that's, one of the things I've heard the most about this movie since, it's like Vin Diesel voiced the Iron Giant. Like after he hit it big with the Fast and Furious movies, I think a lot of people went back and then kind of took another look at this movie because of that or maybe took a first look at this movie. Yeah. Um <clears throat> so what are some uh what are some other things that that kind of stood out to you watching it this last time? So, uh let's see. I also
1: really appreciate that they actually had a child voice in the main character. I think the performance was a little wooden, but this was actually a child voice uh, in yeah game, yeah, which is always a nice it's always a nice treat when you actually have a child performing
2: right um something i I was surprised too rewatching is just how heavily the the cold War themes were in yeah,
1: right <clears throat> I and mean, they really talk about duck and cover, which has you know become a lot more relevant nowadays with what's going on.
2: Right. But also like the Sputnik stuff, like all of that mm-hmm. being in there and just like how xenophobic uh Kent Mansley is in this. And yeah, I was kind of surprised at how heavy a lot of the themes are, but they do a good job of like giving you a little bit of these themes and kind of making it, it does a good job of making you feel what it was like to, to be alive that, back then. I mean, it doesn't go, obviously it's a movie about, you know, a boy and his iron giant, but it's, it's still, it, keeps it relatively grounded despite that
1: yeah i mean the entire movie does a great job of just being a metaphor especially with the um i forget sorry i am terrible with character names let me get the list of characters up with i think kent yeah with kent and how he's just kind of a in the carthy era just red scare where I really like that metaphor of how he becomes so self-destructive. He literally is self-destructing at the end of the movie where he's literally going to kill himself because he's become so obsessed with this dealing with the enemy ideology.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That, that was pretty, uh, it's kind of shocking to watch that in a, in a kid's movie, actually, when I think about it, especially because, you know, portraying the, the government agent as the villain, right? That's, that's not something you see happen in a lot of kids' movies.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not unheard of. Like look at like ET and there's other ones where they're like children interacting with a friendly alien or what have you. So I think that's kind of what it's playing into is that sort of trope where there's a certain fear of authority. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. I think that um, Dean is such an interesting, because he is a counterculture character and by being counterculture, he is a supportive one like that restaurant scene or diner scene at the start is a really great scene where he was like, yeah, I saw it too. Like, did you really? He's like, no, but I wanted to make that guy feel like he was being supported. And that just speaks volumes about the nature of Dean's character and you know, how he's the only other person that really is able to tolerate the giant.
2: Mm -hmm. It also speaks a lot about um, that time period. Right. And just like how, and I like that too, that he, had that line because usually in a movie like this, um, nobody would 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 be supporting uh, someone who's coming up with these outlandish theories or anything like that. You wouldn't have any adults who are really kind of like standing by the kid, like trusting the kid and all that. But you have that in Dean a lot. And I really like that aspect of it.
1: Yeah. I think something else that um, unrelates to that is, I think it's very interesting how he is the son of a single mother and they don't really talk about the father. And it's very much left up to your interpretation. I think that was a very powerful, creative decision. Mm-hmm. And it does, of course, let, um, oh, freaking, what's his, I always forget his name of the agent, Kent, Kent. just slot in so well into mm-hmm. the presence of his mother in a way that if he had a father figure, it wouldn't have worked.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, now, according to the Wikipedia, it says that Hogarth's father was, uh, he was an Air Force pilot who died in the Korean War. Um, but I can't remember if there was any real references to that in the movie or any like, or if there were, then I kind of, I, I missed them. Yeah. I I'm with you as well. Um, but one thing that kind of took me out of it a little bit was, um, the the military guy, the, the general Rogard, um, who he, um, you know, he, he eventually sides with, with Dean and the kid and, you know, he's against Kent, like. You know, launching a nuclear. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's where the movie felt like they had to play it a little bit safe, and they kind of yeah. had to show that Kent was an outlier. Whereas in reality, I think a Rogard type character would have been, "Whoa, yeah, let's bomb the shit out of him." <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, what are some other things here? Uh, well, one of the things that surprised me is that uh, John Mahoney, um, of Fraser, he he played, um, he ended up playing, um, Rogard in this. Really? Yeah.
1: I had no idea. It's so interesting how there's so much talent in this movie and you just don't know about it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because
1: everyone is just kind of very subdued.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's that's another thing is it I think that's probably another reason why maybe it didn't quite find so much of an audience at first is it is a like like and this kind of ties into what we were saying before about the pacing. It is very subdued. It's very up until the end. And even that's not that big of a Situation. It is a very low key film. It's yeah. um, it's it's not like I'm trying to think of what other animated movies were coming out at the same time that would have been comparable to this, but, um, but it doesn't seem like it, it would have competed very much with them on that same level.
1: No, and I think that's a really good observation.
2: I mean, yeah. So I'm looking at this now, and it says that you know we had Tarzan come out at the same time. Um, Uh, Toy Story 2 came out at the same time, so all these movies that were much bigger and much more impactful, um, whereas this one definitely was much smaller in scale overall. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and I... It's funny, though, you say that small in scale when it's about a giant robot, but that is true. Like, it's just him. There's there's really no big set pieces to this movie either. Right. And it's so interesting how really the action of it is only in the last like 15 minutes where I really would have fought people to discover the giant further in. Mm -hmm. But it was like, I think I had it written down. It was like, yeah, I thought that it was really past the 50 minute mark or anything more conventional happens and that just really shows the interesting pacing of the movie and that's why you'd think oh this is probably a two-hour movie because after premature an hour in is when the plot really ramps up Mm -hmm. but because the movie is only an hour and 20 minutes that means that it's entirely just the climax of when you really feel the plot is starting
2: i think too that um the Another thing, something they could have done, and maybe it would have taken a, a different type of movie, a different focus. Of this movie altogether, because it's very much on Hogarth trying to the the whole the whole the whole movie is just about this idea that Hogarth has trouble, you know, finding people to relate to. That's why he keeps bringing in all these stray animals he finds. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of why he relates to Dean in the first place, because Dean's also this outsider type, and. Yeah. I wish we would have seen maybe a little bit more of that because it's not really reflected so much in the town I think you could have done more with that with the whole idea of the red scare aspect of it and with like the and have like the town's reaction to that kind of stuff because we don't really get a lot of that and then we see in the you know when the giant saves the the two boys right you know people are kind of, uh, you know, people are thankful towards him and the townspeople kind of realize, oh, he's this, you know, he is a helpful guy, but there's none of that lead up to it, right? There's, it, there's not real, nobody even knows he exists until really that point. So I think that's um, maybe not a failing because that's probably not what the movie was really trying to do, but I think that's something else that they could have done to kind of inject a little bit more drama in it was maybe have the giant be revealed a little bit earlier.
1: I think so, but then it's also, I guess, so would you have wanted the movie to be substantially longer then?
2: Not really, but I think they could have edited down some of the the other stuff. and Yeah, maybe like the slice sub- of life. Right, maybe not substantially longer, but I think you could get this up to maybe an hour and 45 minutes and mm-hmm. do a little bit more stuff with that without, without... So I think it wouldn't have been too much long. It would have improved the pacing a little bit more, I think, if you had done something like that, especially because there's this whole fascination the giant has with superman right
1: yeah and that that plays into where like the superman thing is fun but i feel like they didn't talk about it much to really be such a part of the character arc like maybe it would have been fun to have seen him try to save someone and fail Mm -hmm. and then you know this is really when he gets his redemption because it's not really like he needed to redeem himself right because everyone by the point that he has to sacrifice himself everyone knows what he is he doesn't have to prove anything he's not say a martyr
2: right Um, exactly
1: and it is a little frustrating how, so, like, everything Kent is saying is pretty easily disproven. And so it would have been nice for them to have been some, moral, some morally gray stuff. Not necessarily because the giant was acting evil, but just because he's such a large figure. And sometimes when you try and do the right thing, it doesn't always work out. And that's really a lesson that wasn't built into the fabric of the series because the giant is always, besides you know being childlike or animalistic like a dog, he doesn't do anything amoral
2: right the the closest anymore. the closest we ever get is when um, when Hogarth points the toy gun at him and his defense system kicks in. that's yeah, that's it. And we never see anything. I was expecting to see a little bit more of that after that scene happened, but it's just it's kind of like just gone very quickly and we don't deal so much. and I think there's a lot you could do there with, you know, I think if if I were writing this movie, I think I would have put that scene a lot earlier. And I would have had the giant try to maybe suppress his programming or something to avoid that happening again. And so then when the danger really does come, then it's a situation when it's like, well, I, you know, I promise not to use violence anymore. But now, you know, my family, for lack of a better word, is in danger. What am I supposed to do now? I think Mm -hmm. that would have made it a lot because there is there is no moral quandary that the giant faces, really. Yeah. Or even Hogarth. Like Hogarth doesn't really face any sort of moral quandary either. Like they're just basically in the right the whole time.
1: Yeah, that's the problem is I think the good characters are too good and the evil character. Like literally the evil character is fine killing children. And I mm-hmm. think that just kind of takes away where you just can't have someone that plainly evil. I know he's supposed to represent like abnormality and what have you in the Red Scare. But there's just like a point where there's just there wasn't enough ethical playing around in this movie to make it not feel like it was above being a well-done children's movie
2: if anything i think if you'd combined aspects of kent and rogard together to create a more complex character i think that would have been a little bit more interesting as opposed to yeah. just having this one character who's very level-headed and you know and you know he's he's working for the government but he's very level-headed he knows when he's made a he's made the wrong move and, Mm -hmm. and the other character just being, you know, a complete total ass, total fucking asshole, then yeah, that's, that makes it harder to, to really kind of relate to that. And yeah, you're right. It's just the, the only time the good characters ever do anything wrong, it's very small and they quickly realize their mistake. Like when Dean sends the iron giant away and, or when, um, or when hope I can't even think of when Hogarth accidentally, you know, he, he accidentally causes the the train accident, right? There's, and even Mm -hmm. that's very minor in comparison. So yeah, there's not a lot of that stuff going on. I think for all the, the time the movie spends dealing with these like slice of life stuff, a lot of that stuff could have been trimmed in order to make room for some more character development. Yeah.
1: Now, do you think the train would have been more interesting if it was a more severe accident?
2: It might've like, it might've, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if you could do that in um, a kid's movie, right. have like the, yeah. the hero kill, you know, kill some pat- train passengers, even accidentally, but mm-hmm. it definitely would have um, changed the stakes a little bit. And it definitely would have um, added some more, uh, some more conflict for the characters to deal with. I, I think, I think so, but also, you know, talking about the Superman thing. And like you mentioned that the Superman aspects, not really that touched upon. Um, because you also think about the time period this takes place in, 1957. You know, this is still the golden age and Superman's much more of uh, a social justice type character in this, <laughs> in this time period as well. So I think when you're setting it in the Cold War and you've got that whole Superman thing going on, there's so much more you can do with that that I feel the movie doesn't, doesn't even barely scratch the surface of what you can do with that.
1: Yeah, and then um, would you have wanted there to have been a sequel or do you think that's unnecessary? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure
2: because I think, I don't think, maybe not a sequel, but I think I just wanted not have a rewrite of this script more than anything is what I would have wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What about you? Because I know, I'm not sure if there was, it It seems to set itself up for a sequel, but I'm not sure if there was any actual talk about a sequel. I think they said
1: they would have been fine. They would have had no issues making a sequel, but they didn't
2: think a sequel was necessary. Okay. Yeah, I don't think a sequel would have really helped at all. I think it would have. I, I can't imagine anything they would have done in the sequel that would have. There's obviously a lot more you can do with this character, but I don't think it's anything that these. These filmmakers would have wanted to do with the with the character, with the character. I assume they would
1: have played into the origins more probably.
2: Right. That's that's probably what I'm that's probably the only thing I could think of as well. Um and, you know, and this is still too, like the, the, um, cause looking at the themes of this, uh, you know, Brad Bird was coping with the death of his sister when he was making this and, um, oh, was and even, it? Yeah, I wasn't aware yeah. of that context. And it was even based on, um, on a children's book written by, mm-hmm. um, uh, what was his name? Ted Hughes, who, yeah. you know, after Sylvia Plath committed suicide, who was his wife, he had, yep. um, he had wrote this book to, to kind of comfort his children. Um, and so Bird's pitch to Warner brothers was what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun? Yeah. And I feel like it doesn't quite live up to that promise because I don't think we see enough of that conflict in the giant.
1: Yeah. I feel this movie needed another 20 minutes and probably maybe some tighter pacing. So maybe Mm -hmm. a net of like an extra 25 to 30 minutes to really get a stronger message out, maybe have another set piece or two. To yeah. really show because you really only see the giant actually doing his thing once in the entire movie,
2: right? Yeah, I mean, we just get that brief little hint of it early on, and then in the background, we see the, the laser blast, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that too, you know, understand what the giant is capable of would have also been really good. So that's why I would have moved again. You move that scene with Hogarth earlier in the film, you maybe see him like create a giant weapon or something and point it mm-hmm. at Hogarth, and you know, and then. And then Dean steps in and and then the giant realizes what he's done. All of that, I think would have made for a lot stronger um, because it also would have shown Hogarth that, you know, yeah, this guy, you know, it's, you know, this, 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 you know, this basically, you know, wild animal for lack of a better term, he would have, he does love you. He does care for you. But at the end of the day, he's still what he is. So there's that question too. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think too, like having a little bit more with um, maybe maybe Annie discovering the giant earlier and having more of a reaction to it, I think would have also helped out a little bit more with that. So you you would have had a little bit of a push and pull between Annie and Dean, right? Because Annie seems very pretty overprotective of hogarth like you know don't go to bed you know be in bed by eight well yeah she is a
1: single i mean that's what happens when
2: you're a single mother well yeah yeah it's absolutely understandable so i would have liked to see that come into more with in regards to the giant Mm -hmm. because especially that that also plays into the idea of kind of the parent that kids want and the parent that kids need because i think you that's another dichotomy you could set up with dean and annie where you know, Dean's this really cool, laid back guy. He's the kind of guy that you would, that a kid would want to have as a parent. Whereas Annie is, you know, she's much more strict. She's much more uh, concerned. And even though kids may not like that, that is more of the parent that you need. So I think having a little bit more drama there in regards to that would have been interesting too. Yeah, do you do you like that they got together? Um, I didn't really think too much of it because it just kind of seemed like it was expected. Yeah, I just felt like it was kind of arbitrary yeah exactly it definitely felt arbitrary so I didn't think too much of it because I had expected it right from the start it it mm-hmm. it seemed like it was so obviously going to happen so I just and I know they kind of another thing they could have done right you they you kind of set up Kent here as a potential third point on that love triangle but it never quite develops right this movie I think that's what's frustrating about this movie is and i didn't really realize this until i wasn't expecting to have this kind of conversation um when we started this but it (laughs) but that's good it's good and um like i was it would have now that i'm thinking about it i would have liked to see more of that because now knowing that hogar's father was a soldier like having kent there as kind of like a replacement for him and and whereas dean is like the complete opposite yeah. of her husband it would have been so much more interesting to set up that kind of uh conflict and that kind of dynamic
1: mm-hmm. yeah i feel like that's something that they had to for time was really exploring his father
2: right yeah there, there's a lot of stuff that feels like it was it was cut out or not even put in the movie in the first place and i think yeah i mean as much mm-hmm. as good and i'm not saying you know for anyone who's you know listening to this and, and shaking their fist at me right now like i don't think it's a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. I just think there are so many different things they could have done better
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that makes sense.:
2: So, um, how has this, uh, this colored your perception of it uh, now that you're rewatching this movie and you know reapproaching this, this classic from your childhood?
1: I mean, I think to be honest, I think my opinion stays the same. Like I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, I mean, there's a reason I haven't rewatched this movie in probably a decade is I remember it being a good movie, but not a movie. I always need to constantly rewatch. Like if I have kids, I'm sure I'll show it to them at some point, but it's not mm-hmm. the top of the list, you know?
2: Yeah. I think I got the same feeling too. Like I was watching this, um, you know, my daughter's only about one now, so she's not Aww. quite old enough to understand it, but, and, and she was, you know, she watched like the first five minutes with me and then she fell asleep, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but she's not at that age yet where she can really sit and pay attention to a movie. But I think when she gets older, um, I would definitely, I think I would definitely show this to her. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I am, I am impressed that it did do some things that I wouldn't expect a kid's movie to do. Mm -hmm. And maybe this, maybe this is me expecting too much of a kid's movie in the end because I think I got, I think it kind of impressed me too much by being so direct with the cold war themes that I wanted it to do more
1: yeah and it's interesting how the cold war themes didn't exist when this movie came out or when the book it's based on came out
2: yeah that's a good point too i never even considered that and um so yeah when was uh when did the book camp come out 1968 1968 oh okay okay Mm -hmm. so it came out after that time um so yeah it is interesting that um bird decided to to set it in this time period um what do you think was the, was the reason be- behind that? Do you think it was really just the Cold War themes or do you think there was, um... it was think so. some other reason why? I,
1: I mean, I feel like that was really the best setting for this because also obviously couldn't do it nowadays because it was just too connected to hide something like that. And mm-hmm. I think it was just having a theme like this in the 80s would have been overdone because people have been like, oh, it's like E.T. but with a giant robot instead. Right, yeah. So I think the 60s really added an interesting sense and a peacefulness to everything. Like the duck and cover element
2: mm-hmm. really
1: is a 60s capstone.
2: Yeah. Um I agree. Yeah. And uh it turns out that a lot of people did actually compare it to ET when it came out oh, too. Well there you go. Um also uh this one Roger Ebert actually compared it to uh Hayao Miyazaki. Hmm. So which I'm not sure I th- I can see kind of that but I feel like Miyazaki is he's much more direct. He's less shy about addressing the themes he wants to address and and that could just be like you know working in the hollywood studio system and you know brad bird not wanting to ruffle too many feathers with an animated movie about the cold war (laughs) um but like i had just watched um I, i teach a class in japanese film and like just the other day we did uh the wind rises and that is you know such a blunt criticism of japan during the war and it's and it's a japanese movie so in a japanese kids animation no less and so yeah i thought or like you know something like grave of the fireflies too which is also a very blunt denunciation of war overall but um this one it it plays it very safe compared in comparison to miyazaki
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's also just he didn't have a lot of budget too because this was considered a fairly low budget Movies, so I'm sure that has heavily restricted his ability to have really done what he wanted.
2: Right. That's yeah. Why, you know. Like I said, 30 million dollar budget. And I'm sure that or no, 50 million dollar budget. And I'm sure most of that went into the CGI effects. Yeah. Um, speaking of the CGI and the Iron Giant's design, that was actually it was actually designed by Joe Johnston, who um, he directed uh, The Rocketeer. He directed Captain America, The First Avenger. Oh, Wow. And yeah, and he's, um, he also directed Jurassic Park three, but we don't talk about that. (laughs) Um, But I think he was, uh, it was a good choice because he's got a very strong pulp sensibility and you really see that reflected in the design of the giant. And, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, when I think about stuff like the Rocketeer, when I think about the first Avenger, when I think about the design he did for this, you know, I feel like I want to see him make, that guy especially, make more movies in this time period
1: yeah i think this is definitely an era but the problem is is i think why the 80s are so big is now everyone who was a kid in the 80s now gets to make these movies and i've think right. we really lost our opportunity for the 60s and it, which is slowly starting to become less of a living you know
2: we're mm-hmm. starting to lose the people that were alive in this era yeah yeah there's um maybe a little bit too much focus on the 80s as, as of late oh yeah um it's a great it's a great decade mm-hmm. but Something else too, watching this movie and also thinking about um what he did with the Incredibles and, and also just like the the sheer pace of action in um uh Ghost Protocol like makes me wonder like how come nobody has thought to give Brad Bird a Superman movie now?
1: So I people have been saying Brad Bird would be perfect to direct the Fantastic
2: Four. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that happens. That would be yeah, he would definitely be good for that too. Um and, you know, John Watts has now stepped down from that. So who knows? It's it's a possibility. Uh, That's why I'm hoping. I mean, I would love to see him direct a Fantastic Four movie. I would love to see him direct a Superman movie, too. I mean, mm-hmm. think either one of those. I mean, I think this movie definitely, The Incredibles definitely shows he's got a lot in him to do uh, a Fantastic Four movie. This, I think, definitely shows he's got a lot in him to do a Superman movie. And Ghost Protocol proves that he knows how to handle the action.
1: Oh, yeah. Ghost Protocol is great.
2: mm mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that that tower scene, geez. every time I watch it, it's just like heart stopping.
1: I can't wait, though, for the next one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw. Just, did you see Top Gun Maverick? Not yet. No, I oh, That's uh, great. I know. I want to see it. But, you know, we've got we got one kid running around. We got another one coming soon. So oh, geez. <laughs> it, it really kind of restricts the time I can hey, go out to fair. the theater. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably have to wait till that one comes out on, on video. But, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I mean, people have been saying it's even better than the first one.
1: Mm -hmm. it's way better see it in IMAX
2: if you can I I will yeah I'm hoping I can find a way to but we'll see how that works out um okay Dave anything else we really kind of wanted to talk about with Iron Giant because there's it's not a long movie and I think we kind of touched on a lot of the big things that that kind of stood out to me and even moved into some stuff that I wasn't expecting no
1: I think I had a bunch of notes and I really think that's we covered everything that I want to discuss
2: yeah um I think the the sum up I would say about this and you mentioned it's on HBO max. So people can easily watch it yeah. now. Um, oh, well, you might want to play around with your audio yeah, settings. I'm like not sure saying. what was going on with that. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. It's if you've got, if you've got kids, I think it's definitely worth watching with them. Um, I feel like if I had watched this movie when I was a kid, if I had, then I think this movie would have had a much bigger impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things where I've talked about this before on this show, but when you're a kid and you watch something at the right age, it kind of stays with you for life. Yeah. And I think that's what the case is with this movie for a lot of people who were kids when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. Uh, what about you? Do you have any other final um, notes about this movie?
1: No, I think this movie just, it holds up really well. It is a little slower paced, but I definitely don't regret getting to watch it again.
2: Yeah, it, it's a fun watch. I'm glad I finally got a chance to watch it. Um, it unfortunately didn't quite live up to the potential that had been said after years of hearing how amazing it is. But, um, but overall, I liked it. Uh, I thought, like I said, I really liked the Dean character in it. I thought Vin Diesel did a lot of really good voice work because it seems like originally they were going to electronically modulate the voice, but they didn't in this. So that's all his voice acting. And I don't know. I, I really feel like Vin Diesel is much better as a voice actor than an action star. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay, uh, Dave, why don't you tell people one more time where they can go and find you then?
1: All right. Well, first of all, thank you again, Perry, for having me on the show. This is a ton of fun, and it was great having a chance to rewatch it, but you can find me, my co-host, and a guest every single Monday on the Shonenflop podcast. That's S-H-O-N-E-N-F-L-O-P, where we look at some weird and wild manga seeing what they did wrong what they did right what they could have done to have prevented being a flop it's a ton of fun appreciate if you check us out we're on as i said at the start we're on spotify itunes youtube or wherever else you get your
2: podcast okay very cool all right yeah and uh thanks so much for and we'll have all that information in, in the show notes uh, again mm-hmm. um but yeah thanks so much for coming on uh, you're more than welcome to come back on anytime you want oh thank you so much okay uh that does it for this episode of superhero cinephiles a little bit shorter than our usual episodes but you know every now and then that's okay it happens every now and then um and so you guys can uh get on with your day you don't have to listen to to me ramble too long then it's probably
1: it's probably the fact that the movie is about 40 minutes shorter than the average film you probably yeah
2: i think that's a big part of it too um but anyway superhero cinephiles.com is the website super cinema pod on twitter and instagram And remember, if you sign up for our Patreon uh, subscription, even at any level, dollar a month, whatever it is, then you get these episodes a week early. And you also get access to the um, uh, Superhero Cinephiles Book Club companion podcast, where I, sometimes alone, sometimes with the guests, uh, do cover uh, different comic books and graphic novels and stuff like that. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy The Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, The Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else on all of this for as little as just a dollar a month all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash super and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started thanks so much for your support and please don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.